Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to CCC. Uh, really, really glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. All right. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Zach mentioned uh, that we are having a men's summit. I'm wearing the t-shirt for men's summit. It's our first uh, ever here at CCC. And uh, last week, Zach uh, talked about how excited he was about it. And I just want to let you know how excited I am about it. The more meetings that we have about it, the more convinced I am that that weekend will make me a better man. And I want to be a better man. And most of you know that it's easier to become better when you're with people who want the same thing. And we are praying that 400 men uh, sign up and join us for this watershed event for our church, uh, for uh, Friday and Saturday to be together. And I can only imagine uh, what kind of impact 400 men wanting to be better, encouraging each other to continue to get better, will have on our families and our community and our neighborhoods and on this church. All right? So I'd love for you to sign up. Last week when Pastor Zach mentioned it, 77 men signed up. I need you to know it will make me feel like a better man if more than 77 <laughs> sign up this week. All right? At least better than Zach, and that's good, right? That's important. <laughs> don't miss it. Seriously, don't miss it. It will be uh, life-changing, I think. Okay, we are continuing our series on the book of Galatians. We're almost done. Uh, we are spending 10 weeks there. This is week nine. And I feel like I say this at the end of every series, that I have loved this series. I hope you have too. We've made it all the way to chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, turn in, turn in them to Galatians chapter 6. If you're going to use one of our Bibles here in the sanctuary or over in the back of East Hall, it's on page 916, page 916. Uh, these 10 verses that we had read to us are really, really interesting verses. I feel like uh, Paul is answering two questions, uh, both of them super important. One is, once you become a Christian, what can you expect? What are reasonable expectations? And number two, 
Uh, is Christianity uh, an individual sport or a team sport? And both those questions are really important. Like the question about expectations, I remember Karen and I went to a marriage seminar some years ago, and the speaker said something that I think was just brilliant. He said, uh, there's a gap between expectations and reality, and there's a name for that gap, and it's called disappointment. And however big that gap is, is how much disappointment you have. That's really important in a marriage, but it's also important with your relationship with God. Because in my 40 years of ministry, I've met with a lot of people who've been deeply disappointed with God. And some of that disappointment comes from having expectations they did not get from the Bible. So it's good to know uh, what we can expect once we become a Christian. But the other question is also important, whether it's a team sport or an individual sport, because if you're like me, you like to handle things on your own, and it's good to know what God says about how we should handle things. All right? So I'm going to read the first six verses, uh, where, and I'm going to pull out my three points from those six verses, and they're three expectations. And let me read the six verses. This is uh, from chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, here are the three points that I want to pull out of here. No take, you just want to know where I'm going. Uh, the first expectation that Paul gives us is once you become a Christian, sin's still going to happen. And you're going to need somebody. Sin is still going to happen. And you're going to need somebody. That's verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the first one. The second point is pain is going to happen, and you're going to need somebody. Life is going to get heavy sometimes, which is why he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And finally, learning needs to happen, and you're going to need somebody. And that's verse 6. He says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So those are the three things that you can expect once you become a Christian. Sin's still going to happen. Pain is going to happen. And then learning will need to happen. All right, but then Paul goes on in verse 7, and he kind of goes off. He says, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's like he's talking to teenagers that he knows aren't going to listen to those first six verses. So he's kind of grabbing them and saying, listen up, right? This is what he says. I'm going to try to tackle verses 7 through 10, then I'll get back to verses 1 through 6. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. When you first read that, and you, or you hear it, and you hear Paul say, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever someone sows, that they will also reap. It sounds like Paul is saying, you better live right or God's going to get you. Uh, you better not sin. If you sin, you're going to be judged. You're going to get exactly what you deserve. The problem with that is that Paul just spent five chapters in Galatians telling us that Christianity is different than all other religions. Every other religion says that. You get whatever you deserve from God. But not Christianity. Christianity says because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, you do not get what you deserve. Instead, you are not judged by what you do because Jesus is judged in your stead. That your right standing, your righteousness... Your right standing before God is not based on anything you do, but on what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. That's the main message of the Bible. That's grace. So if that's true, then what is Paul saying when he says, whatever you sow, that you will reap. God is not mocked. I think Paul is giving us... uh, an idea of the very structure of the universe. What Paul is saying is, just as there are physical laws that govern the physical world, so there are spiritual laws that govern the spiritual world. And that's why he uses the metaphor, uh, the agricultural metaphor. If you sow corn, corn's going to come up. right? You're going to reap corn. If you sow corn, alfalfa doesn't come up. That's not the way the physical world works. So when Paul says, listen, if if you sow according to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow according to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. What he's saying is that there are laws that God has placed in the universe. Let me give you an example. The Bible says to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. If somebody hurts you deeply, What God says is forgive them. Now, if you say, you know what? It hurts too much. I can't forgive. I won't forgive. What's going to happen? Is God going to look down from heaven and make your car break down? No, that's not the way it works. What's going to happen is if you sow unforgiveness, you will reap bitterness. If you sow unforgiveness, you will reap terrible loneliness. That's the way your heart works. God doesn't give arbitrary instructions. What God says is you were made to be like Jesus and you will be doing things. I will give you instructions on how to become, if you go against those, you'll become less like Jesus, which is bad, instead of more like Jesus. And he uses the sowing and reaping, so you got to know there's some time There's a gap in time between when you sow and when you reap. And that's true with disobedience. Like when you first decide not to forgive somebody and you begin to nurse that grudge, you won't feel bad. You'll feel good. You'll feel like you deserve to be able to feel like that for a bit. You'll tell your friends about the wrong that has happened to you. They'll agree with you. It'll be positive. It takes time to warp your soul but your soul will be warped. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. That's true of obedience, too. Like, the Bible will say, be generous. And you take a Thanksgiving basket, you go fill it up, you bring it back, and you think, you know what, I, I, I did it, but I, didn't, I don't feel that much different. It takes time to reap obedience. It takes time to reap disobedience. But this is something you need to know. You are sowing now. You are scattering seed all the time. And that you are sowing, either what you are sowing will reap misery, what you are sowing will reap joy. And that's what Paul is saying. God created the spiritual universe a certain way. He's telling you how to reap joy. God is not mocked. You can deny gravity, but you're still going to hit the ground just as hard. All right? Okay, that's verses 7 through 10. Now let's go back to verses 1 through 6. This is what you can expect. The first thing that Paul says you can expect when you become a Christian is that sin's still going to happen, and you're going to need somebody. This is what he says in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All right, what he's saying there when he says, uh, if you are caught, if someone is caught in a transgression, uh, that indicates somebody can't get themselves out by themselves. It's important that Paul did not say, if you are in sin, repent. That's a way for you to get out yourself, but that's not what this says. This says someone is caught in a transgression, and somebody needs to go and help them. And that means that it may be that the person doesn't even know that they're caught in a transgression. Uh, not only can't they get out of themse- themselves, it's a spiritual blind Spiritual blind spots are terrible, by the way. And the reason they're terrible is you have them. You just don't know you have them, right? And that's what Paul says. If somebody is caught, then he says, you who are spiritual, go and Restore, you who are spiritual, it doesn't mean uh, that you need to call the expert. Like you see a friend, they're caught in a transgression, call the church, get a pastor to come out, talk to them. Don't do, don't do that. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you are spiritual, he's saying if the Holy Spirit resides in you, or if you are a follower of Jesus, this means you. This means you have to care about somebody enough. You have to love them enough to be the one. And then he says, restore them. That's really an important word. It's a medical word. It means to put a bone that's out of joint back in place. And that indicates what kind of sin Paul's talking about. Because what he's talking about is something that belongs in your life. It's just in the wrong place in your life. All my bones belong in my body. But if a bone is out of joint, it just needs to be put back into place. There is some sin that doesn't belong in your life at all. But there are other things that that become sin that still belong in your life. Like, for instance, if you have children, children belong in your life. But if your children become too important, they're out of joint. Your life is out of joint spiritually. Your job belongs in your life, your career. But if your job becomes too important, it's out of joint. If you're a student, it could be grades, it could be sports, it could be a hobby, it could be all kinds of things. And what happens is if you go out of joint, you are the last person to know, right? 
people, you're, you're close friends now. That's why they, they talk behind your back. And they'll say, they're the ones that are saying, her children are way too important to her. They rule her, right? They say, man, all he does is work. It's like he lives to work. Right? And what, he's, what Paul says is when that happens, you're out of joint and you don't know it. So you need someone who is close to you to see that you're walking with a limp and to restore you. Right? I don't know if you've ever had a bone put back in a joint. When I was playing basketball, when I was young, I had a ball hit my finger in a way that popped it out of joint. I had to go to a teammate and say, put it back. Right? It hurt like crazy. That's why Paul says, do it gently. It's going to hurt when you confront a friend. And that's also, I think, why he says, uh, be careful lest you too be tempted. I think we're tempted when we do this uh, to not have a balance between truth and love. Not have a balance between truth and love. There are some of you that are very direct. It's no problem at all for you to see what's wrong in somebody else's life and confront them. In fact, it's a joy, right? <laughs> you just don't do it with love. There are others of you who are so loving and so kind, you can't imagine being the one that has to talk to a friend and say, I think you're out of joint. I think God wants me to help you. But Paul says, this is what we need. Right? This is why it's not an individual sport. You cannot live Christianity by yourself. You need other people, and other people need you. Because sin is still going to happen. And you're going to need somebody. Then the second thing he says is pain is going to happen and you're going to need somebody. He says, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, I told you that expectations are important because it's so easy when somebody becomes a Christian to think that life uh, should get a little easier. Right? It just, and we, when you think that and then life doesn't get easier, in fact, you go through deep sorrow, deep pain, deep loss, then you get disappointed with God. What Paul is reminding us is this, that becoming a Christian doesn't mean that life gets easier, but you get a resource, and that is a wonderful resource, and the resource is each other. It's other people who will come to you when you are being crushed by life and sit with you, bring a meal to you, cry with you, listen to you, and when they do that, what they're doing is lightening the burden so it's not so crushing. But this is what's true, though. Listen, if, if you're going to help me with a burden, if this table is so heavy that I would have to get underneath it and get it on my shoulder to lift it, and you're going to help me lift this crushing weight, you're going to have to get really close to me. Our faces will almost have to touch. Our feet will be right next to each other. You know what that means? That means if you're going to help somebody with their burden... You're going to have to get close. You have to quit doing whatever you're doing and go to be with them. It means your schedule has to be put aside so they can become a priority, which is why he says to not think more highly of yourself. Right? What you think about yourself determines how you treat other people. 
Very rarely does somebody who thinks very highly of themselves stoop to carry someone else's baggage. Right? But God says you are to care so much for the people around you that when they are being crushed, you're the one who goes. Paul says something interesting, though, if you, if you noticed. It seems like he says something contradictory uh, in two, I mean, right away. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, he says, for each, each will have to bear his own load. You want to go, Paul, which is it? Are we helping each other or not helping each other? Right? And he uses two different words there. The one word for burden is for something that is crushing, crushingly heavy. And when someone is being crushed, someone in your circle, someone that you serve with, someone that you're friends with, you're the one. You're the one that God wants to go over there to bring a meal, to sit with them, cry with them, listen to them, love them, so it's not so crushing, right? But then the other word, when he says each one will have to carry his own load, he uses a different word, and that word is a smaller kind of uh, burden. It's like a backpack. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you have gifts and resources that you're responsible for. You will never be held accountable for someone else's gifts and resources and how they use them in this particular body. You're responsible for yours. And what Paul says is do your own work. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing. You have gifts and resources that people around you right here, right now need. Use those, all right? So that's the first thing that Paul says is what you can expect. Sin's still going to happen, right? And when it, ha- when it happens, you're going to need somebody. Somebody's going to need you. Pain is going to happen. Life is going to get heavy. And when it does, you're going to need somebody. There are people around you whose life is so heavy, they need you to help bear their burden. And then finally, learning is going to happen. And you're going to need somebody. This is what he says in verse 6. That the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Listen, that means that you're going to have to continue to be a student. You're going to have, you, once you become a Christian, it's not over. You've got to keep learning. You've got to be a lifelong student. You will never learn all that you need to learn about the gospel by yourself. You need somebody who knows more than you. You need somebody who will teach you. And what Paul is saying is that you need to find a place where somebody can teach you the Bible in such a way that you actually learn, that you pay attention and learn. And if this is the place, once you find the place, what it says is you have an obligation. It says when you, the one who is taught needs to share all good things with the one who teaches. When he says all good things, he's talking financially. He says to give, right? So simply that, that means that if this is the place where you get fed, then give. And it's, listen, it's not, God doesn't make arbitrary rules. He doesn't make arbitrary instructions. He's not saying, uh, you don't have to give here because we need it. You, you need to give here because you need it. Because that's what he says. And that doesn't matter whether you are in person or online. I, there's a family in Charlotte, North Carolina, that has supported this ministry for years. They call themselves the Charlotte campus because that's where they're fed. And they take that obligation seriously. But what they know, whether they realize it or not, is they're sowing. 
You're sowing seed. You're always scattering, right? God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. And God says this. Listen, if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, it's a team sport. People are going to need you. People who are caught in a transgression will need you to tell them that their life is out of joint and you're going to help them with a tear in your eye and with love in your heart. You're going to, people are going to need you because life gets hard and they'll need you to come underneath and help them bear the burden. And if this is where you learn, this is where you give because you're scattering seed all the time. And Paul says over and over again that it's a team sport and we need each other, which is why he ends with verse 10. So then as we have our opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. So, do good. Love each other. Commit yourself to obeying God, to scattering seed that will bring you joy and not misery. Because God wants you to have joy. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you and I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the instruction that you give us in your word. I'm grateful that you uh, give us an idea of how you made the universe uh, so that we can scatter seed that will bring us joy and not misery. I pray for every person here that you will uh, make us long uh, to be obedient. I pray that we will become a place uh, where we are so connected to each other that we are able to, to help each other when we are caught in some kind of transgression that we don't know. That we will be able to help each other when life gets hard and that we will continue to learn because you call us to grow that we may become more like Jesus. Thanks. We pray all this for Jesus' glory and uh, in his name. Amen.